This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. So my friends, this is one of our last shows of the year. So I thought that I'd do something a little different for you and track what news stories that most affected our politics and the American public in 2022. So let's start. Early in January of 2022, we got a sign that not all was right in the tech industry when Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes was found guilty of defrauding investors in her blood testing company and was eventually sentenced to 11 years in prison. Interestingly enough, Apple's stock prices peaked in January, but it was the beginning of the end as inflation accelerated and interest rates climbed. In late January, we were introduced to the Omicron variant of the COVID virus. I mean, let's talk about good times. We had the Olympics in Beijing, China, and the Los Angeles Rams came from behind to win the Super Bowl. Go, 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 it's your birthday. We gonna party like it's your birthday. We gonna sit the party like it's your birthday. In a landmark ruling, Remington, I'm talking about the gun manufacturer, agreed to pay $73 million to the Sandy Hook families. And then, you may remember this, the baby formula recall would later lead to a serious baby formula shortage. Then Russia invaded Ukraine first by surrounding the country, and then on February 24th, Putin launched a formal missile strike, bombing Kiev and 11 other cities. Now after the bombings, three things happened in rapid succession. First, the world sanctioned Russia in an effort to strangle its economy. And then second, oil prices skyrocketed. And third, Ukraine didn't back down. What was meant to be a short, sweet land grab became a war, and it's still ongoing. Throughout the year, the United States has supplied arms to Ukraine, though many Republicans have voted against it. Most of the United States, though, stands with Ukraine. In late March, there was drama at the Oscars when Will Smith smacked the living shit out of Chris Rock. Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it, all right? That was a that was a nice one. Okay, I'm out here. Uh oh, Richard. <laughs> oh wow, wow. Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. And then by April, the supply chain around the world was slowing because China had totally shut down in reaction to the COVID-19 virus. Also in April, Tesla stock was at its all-time high. Then, but literally just last week, Tesla's stock crashed. In May, we had a mass shooting in a Buffalo grocery store that killed 10 people and sparked a weekend of horrific mass shootings all around the country. And then just a few weeks later, in Uvalde, Texas, 21 more people were killed when this lunatic 18-year-old boy opened fire in an elementary school. The police response to the Uvalde murders sparked outrage, but Texas turned around and actually loosened gun law restrictions rather than adopting safer gun laws. But I'm here on this floor to beg, to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg my colleagues. Find a path forward here. Work with us to find a way to pass laws that make this less likely. 
I understand my Republican colleagues will not agree to everything that I may support, but there is a common denominator that we can find. There is a place where we can achieve agreement that may not guarantee that America never ever again sees a mass shooting. That may not overnight cut in half the number of murders that happen in America. It will not solve the problem of American violence by itself. But by doing something, we at least stop sending this quiet message of endorsement to these killers whose brains are breaking, who see the highest levels of government doing nothing. Now, the only thing that came out of these murders was that Congress passed the first safe gun measure in decades, and thank God for that. On June 9th, the January 6th Select House Committee began its first public hearings investigating the Capitol riots. And those hearings quickly became must-see TV for the politically inclined. Now we get to mid-June, the Fed raised rates, mortgage prices started to surge, and crypto began its decline. And as if June wasn't already bleak enough, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. I mean, a total shit show then followed. But the message was clear. The high court had been hijacked by right-wing extremism and lost its way. Their next move was to curb the EPA. So what happened? Stock prices immediately plunged. June 30th, and President Biden kept his campaign promise to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court. And I'm talking about her honorable Katanji Brown Jackson, who was then sworn in, replacing Justice Stephen Breyer. And let's not forget, she is the first black woman to preside on the high court in American history. So good for us. Now we're up to July, and Boris Johnson steps down as the British Prime Minister. Inflation in the United States hits a 40-year high, but the CHIPS Act passed in Congress, promising a manufacturing revival. With a drone strike that killed an Al-Qaeda leader, President Biden became known to some on the internet as Dark Brandon. And then, by August, things were looking up for fans of abortion rights when Kansas overwhelmingly rejected a measure to outlaw abortion in their state. And now we're at August 8th, the FBI searches Mar-a-Lardo. Sources telling ABC News the search is related to allegations the former president improperly removed documents when he left the White House. They were brought to Mar-a-Lago, including classified material. And it wasn't the first time federal agents had been to Mar-a-Lago, their first visit in the spring. We have learned tonight that it was a staff member at Mar-a-Lago who called Eric Trump, and Eric Trump who then called his father to tell him about the search. The former president was in New York, seen leaving Trump Tower last night, and tonight here the first words from the former president while calling into a political event, saying, another day in paradise, this is a strange day. Sources tell ABC News the Department of Justice had started a grand jury investigation in May about alleged mishandling of classified information. Tonight, heavily armed Secret Service agents stand guard at the gates of Mar-a-Lago, and this evening, former President Trump issuing a new statement, calling the search a horrible thing. And that's a story that just keeps on giving. The Biden administration had a series of wins in Congress over the summer, despite Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. And then in September, unfortunately, Queen Elizabeth dies. Ukraine turned the tide in the war, and the women's protests erupted in Iran. The United Kingdom fired new Prime Minister Liz Truss after she broke the British economy. 
And then Rishi Sunak became Britain's new prime minister by promising to fix the broken economy. And then back home here in America, Hurricane Ian hits Florida. And Alex Jones was court ordered to pay like close to a billion dollars to Sandy Hook families. And just a few months later, he declares bankruptcy. Then in late October, Elon Musk officially acquires Twitter. A tragedy occurred in South Korea as hundreds were crushed to death in a mass crowd panic. The land now we're up to November, to the midterm surprise, where Democrats have favored and head off a predicted red wave. Republicans retake the House, but by a very thin margin. We have a huge projection to make. Look at this. The projection in the high-stakes battle for the United States Senate. CNN now projects that Democrats will keep control of the United States Senate, holding on to the majority they narrowly, narrowly won two years ago. This is an extraordinary victory for the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi then steps down as House leader, and Merrick Garland appoints Jack Smith to a special counsel investigating Trump. And as we all know, Trump's legal battles ramp up. We're now we're up to November, and in November and December, we saw a rise in mass shootings. And also, China erupts in protest. So on November 16th, Trump announces he's running for the presidency in 2024, and almost no one gives a shit. On December 6th, the Trump Organization is found guilty on 17 counts of tax fraud. We want to begin with a major verdict involving the Trump Organization. The former president's real estate company was convicted on 17 counts. New York City prosecutors saying the family business ran a culture of fraud and deception. The Trump Organization doling out luxury perks to executives like fancy cars and apartments, and none of which they paid taxes on. And now, in these last few weeks, we have just barely averted a rail strike. The Right to Marriage Act is passed, and after 10 months, Brittany Griner is finally released from a Russian prison. And let's not forget, the founder of the crypto exchange, FTX, was arrested in the Bahamas. On December 13th, inflation in the United States was reportedly easing. But then on December 14th, the Fed raises rates and the stock market plummets again. Go figure. And now here we are, wrapping up 2022. And as far as I'm concerned, good fucking riddance. I'm sure I missed some stories, but I hope I covered the basics. So when you look back at it all, there's reason to think that America is on the mend and that 2023 will actually see us on the upswing. Now, I don't pretend to know the future, but I am looking forward to it just the same. And if I haven't said it yet, to you, all my mea culpa friends, Happy New Year. And now for the main event. Today we welcome to our show, for the very first time, the Brooklyn Dad Defiant, otherwise known as BDD. BDD is a left-wing political commentator on Twitter, on YouTube, and various other social media platforms. His outspoken defiance and often humorous take on the Trump administration has earned him over a million Twitter followers. Since the riots at the Capitol on January 6th, BDD has used his platform to bring attention to GOP lawmakers, people like Lauren Boebert and Ted Cruz, asking that they face consequences for their actions in connection to the insurrection. 
He calls himself a proud papa who is perpetually pissed. He's a fascinating guy, and I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So let's go now to my conversation with BDD. Okay, so I'm honored to be here today with Brooklyn Dad Defiant. You, my friend, happen to be a Twitter sensation. But for the course of this conversation, I am going to refer to you, my badass friend, as BDD. All right? So as long as that's okay, BDD, loving it, by the way. Now, I, I kind of like, mine is MDC, but, you know, like crazy Ivanka used to call me MC, but nobody ever called me MDC. I'm calling you BDD. And that's what, that's how we're going to refer to you, if that's all right. <laughs> so it's great to obviously have you on the show. And I suppose that you are what some would call Twitter famous and very active on social media. Your politics are left-leaning. And I'm going to ask you, first and foremost, when I, when I say left-leaning, obviously there's center, right? And then there's center-left all the way to the far left-left, Right. You're a vocal critic of social injustice, which I am as well. So have you ever been censored or ghost banned on Twitter? And how does, how does one know that they're being ghost banned? Because I think I'm being ghost banned right now. That is a, that is, that's a great question. And first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. It is a tremendous honor to be here with you. Uh, I happen to be a fan of yours from the time you appeared when you when you uh, spoke out against Donald Trump, I thought like you were breaking away from the pack. It, it took cojones, like boulder sized cojones. And I I take my hat off to you because there's very few people in his orbit willing to do that. And, um, you know, uh, thank you for doing that, for, for your um, your courage. Um, as far as. Uh, how do you know whether or not you're ghost banned? If you spend as much time on Twitter as as I do, um, you know, you post a tweet, you watch it go off and you watch people react to it. And I'm the kind of kind of uh, tweeter, I suppose, that I like to I like to see uh, replies. I like to engage with people. I don't just like post it and walk away. I like to to see, OK. How are people feeling about this? And you see the numbers go up. You see the numbers of likes go up. You see the numbers of retweets go up. And so, you know, if if you're a baseball player, for instance, and you take a swing on a, a curveball, you know how that ball is that ball is going to react to your swing. If all of a sudden you're only hitting a dribbler back to the pitcher, something is amiss. What's wrong with my bat? You know, what's wrong with that ball? Well, you know, uh, so swung too early, but okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. if you happen to notice that your tweets are just not popping as they normally do, you're like, hmm, what's what's going on with this? So there are several websites on the internet, on the interwebs that are like shadow banned Twitter. And you just hit, you know, type it into Google. And you type your handle in, and it'll tell you whether or not you are search banned. There are different categories. There's um, the shadow banned. Uh, there's search banned, where if somebody types in your name, it won't pop up at all. Your your what's tweets the, what's the best up. What's the best website for that? Uh, dang it! What's <laughs> not prepared? <laughs> uh, hang on, I I believe I have this here. Um, because there, there's a bunch of us 
who have been talking offline, you know, messaging each other, a bunch of uh, uh, Twitter users. Let's see. I'm going to say it's shadowban.yuzurisa.com. Yuzurisa.com. Um, that's that's the one we've been uh, using. But there are probably about five or six different websites like that. And so I happen to type my name in and boom, um, I'm shadow banned. And it's uh, not, not shadow banned, excuse me, ghost banned. There's a difference apparently. And it's weird because a lot of the major players on the Twitter scene um, on, excuse me, on the left, on the progressive Twitter scene are reporting that they have also been ghost ban and it's funny because elon musk had a few people barry weiss and what's the other guy what's the guy's name uh matt taibi yeah Uh, they they both dug into these top secret twitter files and it was a big expose and look at this they've been uh shadow banning uh, people like Charlie Kirk and this guy and that guy, all these uh, conservatives. And now it seems like uh, Elon Musk has uh, purchased Twitter for $44 billion just to, I don't know, exact revenge on, on the left. I don't know. Uh, so that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, well, look, it's a good story. You know, it was very interesting. So... <laughs> About two weeks ago, I had I myself I put out a tweet, and it was about the First Amendment, where I complimented Elon Musk based upon a statement that he had made, which is that he believes in the First Amendment, as of course as do I, as does really every American, right? Should, sure. uh, unless of course you're Trump or his cronies. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that happened is I started getting attacked on Twitter for this compliment of Elon Musk that now I've become some sort of rogue agent for him and whatnot. And I truly don't even understand the animus that people started coming. How could you be angry at somebody when they turn around and they pledge that they will ensure the First Amendment is going to be upheld on this platform? Now, I want to be very clear to both my listeners as well as, you know, to anybody down the road who hears this, that my comment complimenting Musk was about the fact that he was not going to censor Twitter the way some people wanted him to do. And of course, there are others that don't want any censorship at all. My comment Mm -hmm. was that the extent of the misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation is extraordinary, especially on this platform. Yeah. Now, I was successful in on Twitter. They had this Twitter live event, and there were millions of people that had joined in. It was run by a guy named Nofaz and a guy named .com, both of who have uh, very large Twitter handles, kind of like yours, over a million mm-hmm. And they were the moderators of this conversation. And it was over an hour and a half long with Elon Musk. And then there were seven additional speakers that were authorized to speak during the um, 
program, and I was one of them. And so I had an opportunity to ask Elon a couple of questions. And the first question that I asked him was the extent of bots and bot farms are so detrimental to truth, to the dissemination of misinformation, uh, malinformation, and so on. What is he doing or what does he plan to do in order to combat these bots and these bot farms? And I bring that up because I've seen your Twitter, um, you know, and I've followed it and I follow you and I think you follow me as well. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that I notice is that there are people who say nasty things, oh, like really nasty things. They're what I would like to call texting tough guys. But what mm -hmm. I also find with these people or these Twitter handle is that they generally have under 10 or under 20 followers. They claim that they've joined in like 2013, 2014, 2015. They never use a legitimate picture. It's always like a picture of a flower or a, you a know, uh, uh, the middle finger, the go fuck you finger <laughs> or something like that. Right? And they're spelling is atrocious, most probably because it's a foreign bot farm. So I mm -hmm. asked him, what are you going to do to combat this? Because what it does is it takes away from legitimate conversation. Even if it's discourse, it takes yeah. away from that legitimate conversation. And I noticed that you get attacked as I do by these, um, where yeah. they use the same sort of lines. You know, to me, shouldn't you be in jail, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a famous one. Um, yeah. Well, the answer to that is no, but what's your thoughts on that? And how often do you see that? Um, so uh, one of my biggest gripes on on Twitter is bots. And I think I reached out to uh, to Elon a couple of times. I, I, I didn't have any expectation that he would answer any of my tweets because I'm not a right winger and I'm not a white nationalist. And I hate to say it, but, you know, he seems to love engaging with these white nationalist uh, Twitter accounts, these popular ones, and only them. Those are the only ones I haven't seen. Oh, excuse me, except if uh, maybe AOC, because she's, you know, super duper. She's got millions of, of followers, but the rest of us, he can't be bothered with. Um, another thing I've noticed about um, bots, if you're looking for a marker, how to identify um for some reason, they have this weird syntax where there's a space before and a space after a period or a comma. The punctuation, they haven't figured out how to make it look like a human being, you know. So there's always, if you see space before or space after with the punctuation, funky punctuation things, uh, that's also a bot. They, they do attack me. Um, with regularity and I try my damnedest not to engage with them because their whole function is to take your time is to frustrate you. It's to get you to engage with them and possibly say something that, you know, jeopardizes your account. You know, some people, some, some bots have the ability to, you know, uh, extract the the uh, elicit the worst angriest reaction from people. That's that's their job. That's what they're meant to do. And sometimes I engage with them, and um, but ultimately I'm just muting most of them. Muting, 
blocking, whatever, the most egregious ones, the ones that either threatened me or the just last week, there was somebody who expressed wishes that um, that my 14 year old daughter be raped. You know, um, that was probably the the vilest thing I've seen. And, uh, you know, I reported that to Twitter um, and 15,000 other people uh, retweeted this uh, thing because I kind of I put I I put a big spotlight on it. I was like, do your advertisers do Twitter advertisers approve of this kind of discourse showing up next to their products, next to their services. And um, I reported it to Twitter and they were like, nah, that's fine. We have no problem with that. And then, then I asked Elon, are you okay with this? No response from him either. Uh, in response to your comment, uh, when you were saying that people got on your case about complimenting Elon, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with complimenting somebody on the other side. It's not going to happen often for me. It does. Just yesterday, I complimented Adam Kinziger, who gave what I thought was uh, an excellent speech. And some people you know, came after me. It was like, but he was all this doing this both sides is I'm not giving it. Rah, 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 rah. And some people want to be upset with you for showing you know, a momentary, um, a, a momentary lack of partisanship, you know, um, you got to take those, those folks with, with a grain of salt, you know, you gotta, you gotta do you, I do me. Um, my sister right. jokes with me. She says that, you know, you should change your name to, um, moderate dad. <laughs> because No, nah, I like, I like BDD. <laughs> We're going with, you know, with badass dad, that's for sure. You know, yeah. but it's but it's true. It does. This this happens all the time where if you say something that your followers deem to be out of the ordinary, I started getting statements like, um, did somebody hack your account? Is Elon <laughs> Musk paying you? Is you know, um, you know, uh, are you now receiving money from the Republicans, you know, to say that? Look. I don't agree with much of the stuff that Elon is doing as it relates to Twitter. Unfortunately, for all of us, I don't have a say. I'm not running Twitter. I would like to, and yeah. I think I could probably do a pretty damn good job because these anti-Semitic, you know, as I always say, and I call Trump the king of all of this, racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic rants that people go on. You had one with your daughter. I've had many with not just me, my, my wife and my children. You know, I've had the same where they, it's almost like Hannibal Lecter shit. And it's not funny. And I turn it over to Secret Service. I turn it over to, um, you know, to Twitter as well. Sometimes they come down, other times they don't. But I do believe that the First Amendment has to be tantamount to everything, right? But if it's not, then the platform falls on its face. Now, the misinformation, disinformation, the question becomes predicated on whose opinion? Right. That's the problem here. It's when they start getting into the neo-Nazi shit, when they start getting into the 
um, anti-Black Lives Matter movements, the Islamophobia, etc. That there should be no tolerance for any of that. And, you know, the second thing that I said to him, how about if you use a two-party authentication system in order to verify each and every account? Don't you think that that would help to knock out the algorithm that is currently being used to create this multitude of fake identities, these bots, and then these bot farms, because they know how to create them using basically one email address. Mm. But if there was a two-party authentication, and it has to be your cell number, and the cell number has to be registered to the name of the individual holding the account, don't you think that that would help? And Elon was like, you know what? That's a great suggestion, and I'm going to pass it along to my IT team because we are looking for ways every single day to combat this. I also turned around and said to him, I also believe that there should not be allowed foreign um, money sources right, coming in. They should really take a look long and hard as to which companies are buying advertising revenue and promoting tweets with money that are from foreign entities. Now, if it's hypothetically the London Times, that's okay. Why? Two-party authentication. I'm sure (laughs) they will get a number, right? But if it's some, you know, Russian satellite farm and you can't authenticate that cell number, then they cannot open up that their money is no good here. That was my opinion. That was my suggestions to him. Michael, I think that's an excellent suggestion. The two-factor uh, authentication. I, I, I think I, I do that in most uh, apps that I use that um, I think are important. And I think that I, I want those to be secure. I don't want anybody, you know, being able to spoof me, for instance. Um, the, the whole thing about the first amendment is that people kind of think that the first amendment means that free speech is like the wild wild west you know you can say whatever the hell you want to say with no consequences you know um can you walk into a crowded movie theater and yell fire when in fact there is no fire so when you do that you are risking people you are putting lives in danger from that disinformation you know goddamn well there is no fire but you yell fire and you're counting on people to react and to stampede and possibly hurt other people so yeah there's there have to be some guardrails on our free speech you can't use free speech to incite riots or insurrection that i mean you know those those things um and that's reasonable. Those are reasonable guardrails on free speech. What about the um, anti-Semitic hate speech? They're so angry that they can't use this. And you know what? That was what enabled that angry reaction to um, wokeness, let's say, political correctness, let's say, was what uh, Donald Trump rode to 
um, th- th- that's what uh, raised him into prominence in America was that there was a visceral reaction. People were tired of having to take an extra second to consider how should I refer to this person? Should I use the N word to refer to a person of color? Or should I say African-American or should I say black or should I not even use their color at all? It's just a human being, you know, Um, people resented that back then. And they still they still resent it right now. They resent the fact that you can't go on to social media and and say these horrible, horrible things. And despite that, uh, in the, the time that Elon Musk has been uh, in charge at Twitter. There's been a spike in all those categories of anti-Semitism and homophobia and... um, Yeah, everything that I had said. So um, I I think... I, I, I support free speech, obviously. You know, I, I support... Uh, the First Amendment and <clears throat> excuse me, and everything that it stands for, freedom of religion and freedom of assembly and all that, all that good stuff. Right. But I also think, you know, within reason, within reason, just the same as the Second Amendment. You know, you know what second- your mom, you, you know what your mom used to always say, BDD, just What's because that? you have the right to say something doesn't mean that you should. All right. That's really plain and simple. And of course, had people or should people act in a way that is reasonable, normal, socially acceptable, this whole issue wouldn't even exist. But then again, when you have the orange crusted Mandarin Mussolini out there (laughs) who is supporting this white nationalism, and he is, he is, he wouldn't, he would not, um, he would not um, refute David Duke. He doesn't, um, you know, he pretends Kanye. he doesn't know who he is. Uh, with Kanye, the same nonsense. He refuses to do anything. Now this guy. Um, Nick Fuentes. Who was, uh, Nick Fuentes, another guy who was just sitting. I mean, that's almost like a joke that you would find, you know, in, as, um, in a comedy hall, right? So. A former president, a white nationalist, and an anti-Semite <laughs> is sitting at a table. It's like, right? You know, what, what, do, they, what do they eat? And, and I don't have the answer for it. I haven't come up with the, uh, you know, with the punchline yet. But that's how yeah. fucked up that this really is. And I know Kanye. That's the yeah. thing. I, I worked for Kanye uh, one year ago for a little over four months, you know, helping wow. him out. And I have to be honest with you. I never heard him say an anti-Semitic thing. So what happened why he ended up doing what he did, what's going on inside his head, I don't know. And truth be told, I don't really care. You know, many people turn around and they say, you know, well, you know, he needs to be medicated. He himself has been very forthright with his bipolar disorder and so on. But if you look up bipolar disorder, one thing that you don't find in the, you know, in its symptoms is anti-Semitism. So right. I don't know what got into his head, why he's running onto this. What The fact that he and Nick Fuentes are having dinner together, it's almost like a David Chappelle episode. And it mm-hmm. just it's comical if it wasn't true. But let's stay on Elon Musk for a second, BDD, right? Yeah. Or as Space Karen, as Kathy Griffin likes to call him, <laughs> right? And since he's taken over Twitter. Yeah. I mean, Twitter legitimately is like crumbling before our eyes. 
And Thursday, as we were talking before, Elon then kicked off mostly liberal journalists from the site. You think that Twitter can be saved now that we know for sure that it actually does not support free speech or anything like it? I mean, you know, Michael, we, were I, talking about, we were talking about who they were. And I want people to understand who these people are. These aren't just anybody's. These are people that you see all the time. Like, Keith you know, Oberman. MSNBC host Keith um, Oberman. Mm -hmm. You have uh, from the New York Times, Ryan Mack. And CNN's Donnie O'Sullivan. I mean, we see him all the time as a, yeah. as a guest uh, speaker and so on. Mashable's Matt Binder. And then there's the journalist Aaron Rupar. They were just some of the ones. And they were all upset about this mastodon being kicked off of the platform and so on. My real concern, right, is that maybe he's really not into the free speech. He's not. He's not, Michael. And I, I got to say, the uh, the purging last night was shocking it, i was stunned I, I was i think i was probably more stunned about aaron rupar uh being kicked off than oh and and donnie o, donnie o'sullivan that dude is is amazing i love his work um but i i actually know aaron i met him recently at the white house you know we had like this nerd prom at the white house and i was fortunate enough to meet him so i am texting with aaron last night and like, and he was as stunned as I, he to right now to this day, he does not know why he was suspended and it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't think Elon was interested, was ever interested in free speech. Or I think at one point he said comedy is now um, legal at Twitter. No, he just, he is not interested in comedy. He has a very thin, thin skin. So as, as long as, your joke is not directed at him. He's fine. Now, he was complaining, Elon was complaining last night that um, the reason that he suspended all these accounts and he was accusing them of doxing him. You know what doxing is, right? Yes. You could That's, explain to my you could explain to my listeners in case they don't. So doxing is the act of taking someone's personal private information, their address where they live, you know, um, their their salary, flight you know. plans, <laughs> yeah, uh, their flight plans, exactly. So he has apparently a um, a private jet, and there was a Twitter account that was following his private jet. I think it's called the account was called Elon's Jet, right? And first, Elon bump booted Elon's jet from Twitter, and then other journalists were kind of like digging into because that's what journalists do they dig into what's things that are happening and why they're happening and you know i can't i can't speak to whether or not these journalists were doxing him or they were just reporting on what had happened but um it seemed like um he took elon turned right around and um had somebody video record somebody that was in a car nearby where his son was and then he put that online so that was kind of also um violating twitter's own terms of service by putting someone on video against their uh approval or whatever so what what is elon doing he is destroying two brands he's destroying the twitter brand and he's also destroying 
the Tesla brand. Tesla dropped like it's down to like 150 today, I think. Um, I don't get it. Like, you, dude, you, you're like a mega billionaire. I can think of 50,000 other things I would rather do than muck around with Twitter. If I had a billion dollars, shit, man, I wouldn't be, <laughs> I wouldn't be conversing with white nationalists and, and letting them terrorize people on the internet. Me personally. Personally, me, I would do something else. Hire another person to be CEO. But why change Twitter from what it was? Twitter wasn't perfect before he came along. It had its its issues, things that people complained about, you know. Um, but he's taken it from bad to much, much, much worse. And the only way it survives, in answer to your question earlier, I think we need a billionaire or a group of billionaires to kind of come together, pool their resources and say, okay, take a hike, kid. We'll take it from here. And they, you know, take Twitter off his hands. Maybe um, uh, they pay a, a bit more than $44 billion, So now he can save face at least. He's, he'll, he'll walk away with something extra. Yeah, I'm not so sure you're going to find billionaires who are willing to, you know, for Overpay. social justice to lose, you know, billions or even millions of dollars i mean they've become the wealth that they are because their goal is when you're down it's to step on you and take what you got for as little i mean since taking over twitter my understanding is that twitter has lost more than nine billion dollars of its worth right i mean that's that's wow. a lot you're talking about almost 25 percent of since he took it over and it's not even what uh, a month you know, yeah, a month and yeah. a half, whatever it might be, to lose 25%. And the funny thing is he just doesn't give a shit. But what is interesting, too, is at one point in time, I mean, his net worth before all of this nonsense was sitting there at somewhere like $350 billion. I mean, everybody was talking about how he could potentially be the first trillionaire in this country. Yeah. And I think that that amount of money is dangerous in so many ways, um, especially like what we're seeing here. You have a niche up your ass, all of a sudden you go and you just buy it, and money doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Not only did he, so today I believe that his net worth is like $170 billion. And don't get me wrong, I'm not crying for the guy. Right? <laughs> but still I'm, not so, I'm not so sure how much that $170 billion is um, capable of being converted into cash. He just sold a bunch of Tesla stock, like $3.1 billion. So at least he's safe that way. But He's not the richest guy in the world anymore. Arnaud is the owner of um, Louis Vuitton mm -hmm. uh, and so on. And it looks like, as you stated, Tesla is now you know down 60-some-odd percent for the year. Um, they want to all come up with all different reasons why maybe there's too many electric cars that are being manufactured. They're not the only one. You have companies like Lucid now or even Ford with their EVs and so on. Everything is EV today. Mm -hmm. And that he lost that sort of um, cachet. That everyone I know who has a Tesla likes it. And, you know, it, it is what it is. However, he's lost 60%. And... It's a real, it's a real problem. That's the way, that's the way I see it, and that's I'm sure not wasn't on his mind when he first decided to purchase Twitter. Hey, let's see if I could fuck up my financial fortune, right? Um, we don't know where it, where it's going to go. We don't know how low. 
I'm not, again, crying for him, but, you know, Elon Musk was Elon Musk. And one of the things that, you know, I'm, again, always concerned about is the fact that Twitter, with all of its bullying, its hate speech, its misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation, he's really turned it into a, just a fucking free-for-all, yeah. to be honest with you. I mean, that's really what it is. Uh, and if you piss off Elon by saying something that's negative about him, you stand to lose your account. They'll suspend it as they did, you know, these other individuals. And, or they'll do what you talk about, shadow banning or some of the other tactics that they have. Yeah. So um, Twitter, with all of its faults, uh, warts and all, is still considered the town square. It's, it's still where, you know, journalists uh, check in and spread news uh, events and where uh, people check in, not just for news and politics, but for a, a wide, a vast array of, of other topics. And, you know, not only has Twitter been bleeding away um, equity, but it's also been bleeding away advertisers and it's also been bleeding away content creators i consider myself a content creator i'm on that that website quite a bit and i have been since 2016 and i've used my ability to grow an audience north of 1 million followers and that's not easy to do i know because i if it were there'd be a whole lot more people with a million followers i'm pretty good at what i do and i enjoy the community that i've helped create i have a community of followers that you know they they tune in in the morning looking for each other independent of my own tweets they're just like hey sally how's your mom and you know and i see these things happening with their dm groups where people uh converse amongst themselves and i helped to bring these these folks together um and i think it's it's really sad what what he has done now some of these content creators are going to other sites already. They're like there's this thing called Post. I'm, I think you're on Post, right? Yeah. You know, I just got accepted to it. I haven't set up the account yet. I'm a little bit, you know, technologically handicapped. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to mess it up. So I asked a friend of mine mm -hmm. who's also on Post if he would just, uh, you know, stay on the phone with me as I as I do it. Uh, I heard from Katie Fang. It's not a difficult thing to do at all. No, um, but I just don't want to mess it up. In that way, there's nobody to speak to. That's the big problem. But you know, since I have you on on that topic, there's also you know TikTok, and there's a big problem. I have a very funny TikTok account that people truly enjoy. I do these short these short TikToks and so on. I don't do the dancing. You know, that's just not my thing. It's more a Michael Cohen reacts, and um, there's a whole group of Trump acolytes, bots, bot farms that are on that site as well. And the second I put anything up, I could be saying, hey, I'm speaking to BDD today and we're going to have a great time and we're going to talk about everything that's going wrong in Washington and everything with the GOP and yada yada. They have an algorithm. They have enough people that they constantly report anything and everything that I do. Uh, and every single one of my videos gets suspended. What? And then I have to appeal it. Every single one gets suspended. And then after it gets suspended, I put in an appeal and say, 
I'm quoting from the New York Times. Yeah. I'm quoting from the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, from CNN. I'm even quoting from Fox News. How is this hate speech? It's on every other platform, and ultimately it comes back. Now, interestingly enough, there's one that I put out today where it's already at like 500,000 views. Wow. I did it a couple of hours nice. ago. And uh, it's all about these trading cards, these Trump uh, NFT <laughs> uh, digital trading cards. I actually thought that that was going to, I really thought that that was going to be uh, also taken down, but they didn't. And I'm thankful for that. And I did send notif uh, notifications to TikTok advising them exactly what's going on. And you'll notice it's the same people that are obviously are making the complaints because there's hundreds of them yeah. that are identical to mine. They just don't say it with the same color you know, that, that I do. But I do want to ask you, since we were talking about the town square issue, mm -hmm. so we <clears> now <throat> know that you can actually buy your way into the town square for $8 a month. Mm -hmm. If people are unhappy with Twitter and you brought up post, where's the next Twitter-like experience? Well, I'll tell you, uh, so far, um, I've, I've looked at a bunch of the different uh, up-and-coming things, uh, posts. There's Mastodon. A lot of people are like, are you on Mastodon? I, I literally just got on Mastodon. I am not. I just got on that last night. Didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, it's, it's not user-friendly for a guy like me. And I, I consider myself, you know, for a 54-year-old guy, relatively tech savvy. I'm not a complete moron, but you know, I can figure my way, but Mastodon was too much for me to deal with. I finally got on it last night, but um, for all intents and purposes, post seems like the front runner. If there were, was going to be a replacement for Twitter, I think um, what I like about post is that a it's clean B I've put every single time I've posted, I have gotten zero um troll uh activity zero uh which i think is good i think the uh the the developer that's working on post uh actually shares what they're doing they're, they're very transparent they share every step of their process right now they're mm -hmm. trying to bring more people in because there's a huge backlog of people waiting to get in so they're trying to bring more people in more quickly um and it's 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 definitely a good vibe. The pictures look astounding. The the picture quality, like when you share photographs, for some reason they look a lot crisper, a lot more vibrant on that platform. By the way, I'm not being yeah, that's not yeah, by the way, that's that's not where you want to be sharing, for example, the Hunter Biden pic. <laughs> oh you know? <laughs> or yeah, you know, or the or the Melania or the Melania naked pics either. Um, but yeah, so in, in answer to your question, I think post <laughs> is, is the way to go. But before we move on to something else, can we spend like a minute talking about the, the damn uh, trading cards? <laughs> oh, well, by, by the way, you, you know that we're going to get to that. But I did want to ask you before we get to yeah. that, and that'll be the next topic that, we'll, that I'll bring up to you. But I want to talk about your online presence and your... Um, community, mm -hmm. because you're right. I mean, you have over a million followers, uh, and you're at um, Brooklyn Dad underscore 
defiant. Um, what I notice is that you have over a million, 1.1 million followers. My question to you is how did you start developing your huge online community? And I talk about that in terms, because I have like um, close to 700,000. But then again, I'm on television every single day. I have two books that I put out. One was the number one New York Times bestseller, Disloyal, and the one now, number eight New York Times bestseller, Revenge. You would think that I should have something like that. I mean, I'm on television Every single day, frankly, I don't see you on television. <laughs> so how did you build? I mean, what was was there a particular catalyst that got you uh, this sort of massive number? Because it also seems that you're branching out now and making public appearances as well as being kind enough to join me here on Maya Culpa. Mm -hmm. You also have story time with BDD on YouTube. So if you do me a favor, so tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about BDD's origin, if you will. What's your story and what could people do in order to build up their following, whether it's on Twitter, Facebook, um, you know, post, TikTok, Instagram, whatever? Um, that's that's an excellent question. I, I appreciate you asking it. Uh, back in well, we aim to please here at Maya Culpa. <laughs> we try not to ask stupid questions. My my listeners, right? I mean, we we've done over sixty three million downloads wow. so far. My listeners don't really like stupid questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For stupidity, we can talk about the NFTs, which we're going to do in a minute. Uh, I'll, I'll try. I'll try not to give you a stupid answer. But going back to uh, June. In 2016, I had 60 followers, 60. And um, I had been, you know, watching the Republican uh, primary with, you know, a bit of interest. And I was puzzled that it was so difficult to kind of put Donald Trump away. And then when he was finally uh, leading up to that, I was tweeting, I don't know, maybe a couple of times a week about a TV show, movies. I still do tweet about TV shows and movies, but, you know, literally I was posting two or three tweets per week up until that point. When he was given the Republican nomination, like a, f a switch flipped in my brain and I was like, oh, no, what the fuck is happening in my country? And I was like, I was offended. I was outraged, all those things. And, you know, I was already in Hillary's camp back then. My, um, my, my profile name was Brooklyn dad Four, number four Hillary. That was, that's who I was all the way up until November 9th. And July, I started tweeting a, a lot more, more than two or three times a week, probably two or three times a day. And, you know, I was, my anger, my outrage came through in my tweets. And I think people grabbed onto that, that, that feeling. And by the end of the month, I had 2000 followers. I, and I, this is not something that I was looking for. I wasn't actively trying to, you know, gain new followers. That was not my goal, but you know, um, August, I kept tweeting. I tweeted a little bit more per day, probably five or seven times per day. And by the end of the, the month, I had added another 7,000 followers. And this was, this was peculiar. And I was like, what the hell is happening? 
And then I started, I started taking it seriously. And then I started switching up. I wouldn't just post um, text tweets. I would sometimes add a photo, a picture, sometimes a news article to kind of diversify the content that I was showing my audience. I also started um, posting my tweets at a regular time every day. If your audience knows when you're when you're serving up hotcakes, you're going to show up at the time that you always serve up your hotcakes. So it's helpful to be consistent with the time that you're posting and pay attention to when you get the most interaction, when when you get the most feedback from people. Sometimes you want to ask. And then what question. do you do with that? So then, so then what do you do with that? You get, I'll give you an example because and l- l- you will use the NFT mm-hmm. as the example, if that's okay. Because yeah. as we all know, you know, Trump did a Trumpian thing, goes on his untruth social, comes out there, just wait on Thursday. <laughs> You're all going to see a really major, major announcement. Quite frankly, you're going to be ecstatic. All right. So tune in on Thursday. And he, everybody, everyone that I know, I mean, I can't tell you, I'm going to call you B for short. I can't tell you that I didn't receive a hundred emails, text messages, and phone calls from every journalist, not just here in America, from Canada to London, to Scotland, to Ireland. It's true. I got all of these emails and texts and phone calls the fuck you think he's going to say? Do you have any ideas? He going to maybe make uh what's her name? Carrie Lake his VP? <laughs> yeah. Is it going to be that, you know, something like that? Um, you know, tell me, what do you think it's all about? And I said I I have to be honest with you. I have no clue. Absolutely no clue. I said it seems to me if it's a major announcement, it has to be something about his recently declared presidential candidacy. Right. Um Despite the fact that I've stated all along, I still don't believe he's going to run. Even at this moment, all he's done is file one piece of paper. There's no campaign um, account. There's no finance director, no campaign manager. There's nobody. Nobody. The same idiots that were hanging on that want their free fucking lunch in that shit Mar-a-Lago burger Mm -hmm. over at that crap hole. Right? At the end of the day, that's all that he's got. Yeah. And when this thing came out, I didn't get 100 calls. I probably got about 30 all laughing. And now, how it relates back to you. You put out on, um, actually today, some somewhere maybe around noontime, give or take, damn, when you've lost the trashy rag New York Post, <laughs> dot, 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 woo, with an exclamation mark. And you put up the New York Post opinion editorial, don't give any money to con artist Trump by Post Editorial Board. Dated December 15th, 2022. And you have over 3,000 likes on it. There's close to 600 retweets and yada, yada. You got some very funny comments from people. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you do with this. What I do with that tweet? To grow your base. Oh, um, I don't know. So, so a tweet like that is, uh, is informative, right? Uh, sometimes it's, it's a little bit titillating. Right. And that's one of those things that um, 
my audience happens to like. They like to be titillated. <laughs> they like to be amused, but they also like to be informed. They like edutainment. Sometimes I call it, you know, mm-hmm. you're educating them and you're also entertaining them. That's, you know, it can't all, it, it you can't be all about fireballs uh, day in and day out. You have to have some levity and it's not just levity. Like, see, my, my account is, is kind of unique to myself. I sometimes I'll tweet about my kids. You know, I have a, a kid right now. Um, he's 25. Um, he's a scientist, you know, uh, and I tweeted about his, you know, with his, when he graduated from college and I'm so proud of him. Uh, sometimes I tweet about my animals. I have two cats and a dog. Uh, you know, I tweet about a, a, a wide variety of things. And I think what shines through uh, it's it's that Brooklyn dad. Yeah, he's political. I'm probably 70, 60 to 70 percent political. But the rest of it is it's me. I'm tweeting about my my issues with weight, weight, weight loss and weight gain. You know, um, when I quit smoking, you know, people came on that journey with me. You know, um, I talk about my my issues with drug addiction. I had a, a drug problem. I just celebrated 19 years clean and sober on August 17th. You know, um, Mazel. thank you. Thank you. So it's finding your niche. It's finding your voice and staying true to it. Um, and, and just show up, be consistent people. If people hear your voice, your, your voice, and they like it, whatever that voice is, some people show up like there's, um, oh, this is so many, uh, accounts there. Jojo from Jers. For instance, right? She's a, also a very popular account who just kind of mm-hmm. came out, came out of nowhere, and she's like very, very popular. People like her; they like her voice, her unique brand of humor, and you just you just stick with it, and you pay attention to the the tweets that do well. You know, you pay attention to what time you posted it, what was the subject matter, how did you word it. You know, all of those things they now, make. Now, do a you follow? Would well, then you would would you then follow JoJo and then try to engage her into a cross um, communication or something like that? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. that to me seems yeah. Let me that that seems to me to be one of the ways. So, thank you for you just reminded me. I, I've I've probably forgotten more than people know about the the ins and outs of Twitter. Replies to big accounts are actually um, a great way to grow your account. When you jump on somebody's tweet and you like it and you retweet it and you reply to the, and you don't just say something like good stuff. You know, you say something engaging, say something helpful or funny or deep or whatever, or you share some people will, jump on my replies and they'll share a funny cartoon they saw that's relevant to what I posted. Other people who are reading my tweets, my 1 million follower tweets, you know, they see that post, that reply, and they're like, oh, that person is clever. I'm going to follow them. And that's often, Mm -hmm. you know, um, that's often how a lot of people gain followers. Like uh, for a while, I had some regulars who would race to be the first reply on my tweet. Why? Because 
the 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 people who get there first that means their tw- their replies are there longer more eyeballs mm-hmm. see them they engage with them they grow they grow their accounts got it got it. you know i know that because i've read quite a few of your tweets um, which, of course, is how we ended up in this conversation in the first place. You followed me, and then I was like, oh, my God, this guy's really interesting. You know, he's really interesting in this stuff that you put up, as you said, is very thought-provoking, um, and much of it is in line with the way I believe. But I know that you're a big Biden supporter, mm-hmm. and, you know, I noticed that you've tweeted quite a bit that he's had really a great first two years. This is going to be a two-part question, mm-hmm. but— what would you like to see his administration, um, his administration focus on over the next two years? And then, of course, the million-dollar question. Do you think that he should run again? And I ask these two questions of you because Joe Biden put out a tweet. And as the president of the United States, you know, with as many millions of followers that he has, mm-hmm. he put out a very tongue-in-cheek type of an announcement. He goes... I had some major announcements, both in caps as well, the last couple of weeks, too. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Inflation (laughs) easing. I just signed the Respect for Marriage Act. We brought Brittany uh, Brittany Griner home. Gas prices are lower than a year ago. And 10,000 new high-paying jobs in Arizona. But here's the point I want to just make and then have you answer that question. He's only received just about 150,000 likes. And for the number of people who follow him, which is 36 and a half million, statistically, you do better than he does. Oh, I, I see what you mean. Because he, he's got way more followers than me. But you're you're saying comparatively, he's, his tweet should have done much better. Yeah, I, I suppose um, the, part of that might be um, maybe he's been deboosted. His account might have been deboosted by Twitter, for all we know. Um, well, you think they deboosted the president of the United States? Sure, sure. I mean, oh, well. I'm not. Right. I'm not surprised by it. I've I've already seen Elon has showed his hand. He's shown that he's he's come straight out. He's not impartial. He said, "Vote Republican." You know. Uh, so we we know. Uh, what side his bread is buttered on. Um, what I would like to see President Biden focus on um, is immigration. I think immigration is humongous. It's a, a humongous issue. It's not going to go away. Um, it's going to be hard to for him to do that with um, the Republicans running the House. Um, but it's it's got to be done. You know, um, this is a can that's been kicked down the road for decades, you know, and and it's got to be fixed. I I am shocked that he was able to achieve as much as he was able to legislatively in the short period of time he's been in office in two years. He's already the most legislatively successful president with like a razor thin margin. You know, he was able to accomplish a ton. He wasn't even my first choice. My first choice was Elizabeth Warren. He wasn't even my second choice. Honestly, if we're being 100% honest here, and I'm 100% honest, he might have been third or fourth. You know, I wasn't enthusiastic about him. Okay. Um, but when once we got him, I was like, all right, that's our guy. I'm all, <laughs> you know, I'm all in. Um, right. And I, and I jumped all in. Um, fast forward to so, your question about yeah. 2024. Yes, I support him running 
in 2024. 100%. I don't think I don't think the Democratic Party has anybody uh, in the wings who can win in 2024. But frankly, right now, as we as it stands right now, who knows in the next six months, six to 12 months, someone else might emerge. But I think this dude, if if President Biden can't get reelected on the record of success and, I, you know, whether you like him or you hate him, you can't ignore the successes, the legislative successes that he's had, the um, the maturity with which he approaches the job of being president you know the the vast wealth of experience he brings to that job and know how you know i realized that shit this might not be the president we wanted but it was the president we needed for a time like like this is right now and i i'm i'm glad we got him you know I, and i'm not ashamed to uh to give praise where it's due. Uh, could he have done some things better? Should, you know, uh, absolutely. Nobody's perfect, you know. Um, but I, well, I think. Yes, I, I agree with you on that. Um, nobody is perfect. As, of course, we all know that one of the big problems and possibly the biggest problem for him is the fact um, of his age. Mm. And yes, while you do have to acknowledge that, you know, we all, thank God, want to get old. This is a big job, you know? And um, it's one that I'm not so sure that a guy who would be the oldest president ever to run with all the, as my grandma used to like to say, the mishigas that we have going on in this country right now, um, it takes a lot of energy yeah i mean it really does it takes a lot a lot of energy but you know if i could just keep moving on because i believe that there's actually a lot of um potential you know female candidates as well mm. as male on both the republican and the democratic side that could um be real contenders and it would be nice to see i'd love I mean, to hear to be it. honest with you i mean yeah um i really do i i believe it but i also want to say to you because i know that you're also a big fan of nancy pelosi's and now that she's stepped down as the house speaker first of all what's your impression of hakeem jeffries you know and the new younger house leadership and also do you have any predictions about who the next speaker might be because look kevin mccarthy just does not have the votes to get over the line. Any thoughts on that one? Uh, first of all, um, Hakeem Jeffries, I love him. I love him. That guy, he commands a room. I met him back in June. Uh, and, you know, the 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 jewels that drop from his mouth are just incredible. He's, he's up there. I, I would love to see him run for president and i asked him when he was on my show story time with bdd i asked him if he would consider running for president and no he wants to be in the house um he he likes uh being in the people's house that's that's where um he believes he can affect the most positive change um who do i think will be the next speaker uh, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I agree with you that uh, Kevin McCarthy has an uphill battle to fight. Some people have thrown Jim Jordan's name around. I think I I would hate it if that dude was the speaker, the House Speaker. 
Um, I could I could see somebody like um, Liz Cheney, you know, who I, you know, she's obviously she lost her job, but you we are already know you don't have to be in the house necessarily to be mm-hmm. the house speaker. Some of us thought that yesterday thought um, that Trump's a major announcement was going to be that he's running for uh, speaker of the house. That's what I thought personally was, was a, uh, I thought that was one possibility. Another possibility we thought was he was going to announce Carrie Lake as his running mate. And the third one, we thought he was going to announce that he's going to come back to Twitter, whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, the next speaker of the house is going to have to uh, do some wheeling and dealing with, um, with Democratic votes and Republican votes um, in order to secure um, what I think, what is it, 218? They need 218 mm-hmm. votes to to become speaker. So, um, yeah, it's it's got to be some, it's going to be somebody moderate, I think. I, there's yeah, not well, enough loonies in the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, Freedom Caucus uh to go along with whoever it is that they would propose as leader. And it's, it's not going to be Kevin McCarthy either, but it's also not going to be a Democrat. So it's going to have to be a moderate Republican. I think that everybody can say, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that guy, Steve, um, uh, who's the, the guy who was shot um, at the softball game? Scalise. Steve Scalise. Steve Am Scalise. I wrong? Is he, is he not considered moderate, moderate anymore? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't know what he's considered anymore. But I'd like to see people like a Gretchen Whitmer potentially wow. throw her hat in. I'd like to see like an Amy Klobuchar throw oh, her name, you know, into president. it. Um, oh, yeah, I was president. talking about the yeah. House Speaker. Yeah. But yeah, go on with those names. Oh no, no, no. I'm no, no. I, I, I actually, I apologize. We were talking about the House, but I was going back to the previous question. The reason I bring mm. that up is because. The hour goes by very quickly here on Maya Culpa. And I have one last question okay. for you. Yeah, it goes by fast, right? You think that there's any way to heal the divide between the right and the left in this country? I mean, do you think that the MAGA movement will ultimately fade along with Trump and Trumpism? Or do you just get the sense that there's still a strong authoritarian movement here in the U.S.? Um I would like to see the MAGA movement fade. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't think it will. I think the MAGA movement began. It, it evolved or devolved from the Tea Party that arose back in the the late two thousands uh, when Obama first mm-hmm. came into office. The uh, Tea Party rose in prominence, and that kind of devolved into the MAGA movement. And that's not going away anytime soon, especially now that the QAnon movement has kind of it appears to have supercharged uh maga with its conspiracy theories and you know that the thing about conspiracy theories is they're sticky they're sticky because there's always like a kernel of truth in conspiracy theories you know and there's a lot of bullshit wrapped around it but you know people latch onto that kernel of truth because they're trying to make sense of crazy things happening in a crazy world. And sometimes conspiracy theories help explain the unexplainable. So, um, but I think in order for us to get back to where um, we're not in such a, a hypercharged partisan climate, 
I think the MAGA movement does need to fade away. That's that's it. Because until then, it's going to be us against them, you know, and then there's the people in the middle who are just trying to get by. They're just trying to pay their goddamn bills, get to and from work, figure out where they're going to put their kids while they're at work um, and how they're going to pay, you know, childcare and all that stuff. Um, there's a lot of people in the middle who don't care for the hyper-partisanship. You know, they just want to, you know, say hi to their neighbor, whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat, you know. Um, I think if those people in the middle speak up a little bit more, maybe we can uh, get back to some normalcy. But until then, that this is what we're we're dealing with. Yeah, which is why which is why that there really was no red wave, why the blue waves sort of overtook it. And for me, it just goes to show you that what you're saying is absolutely correct. So listen, my badass brother, BDD, I cannot thank you enough for joining, for educating us. Um, The platform, the town square, as it's called is extremely important. It's where we share our ideas, our beliefs, where we share information. We're in a dangerous place right now in so many areas, but you've helped to enlighten us and to give us some additional knowledge that we need to employ every single day as we all scour these platforms. So with that, I thank you, wishing you a very happy and healthy holiday, a happy and healthy new year, and I will be speaking to you, my friend, very, very soon. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for having me on on this show. Uh, it's it's a tremendous show. I will make sure I let all of my followers know and my viewers uh, on Storytime with BDD. I will make sure they tune in to your podcast uh, as often as possible. It's a great show, by the way. Terrific show. Thank you. And I will see and I will definitely do yours awesome. as well. Thank you thank so you. much. And now for today's mea culpa. Isn't it odd how we humans figure out how we live through just about anything? No matter how difficult or mundane, we will eventually make the necessary adjustments and just keep going. Now, that doesn't mean that it's been easy, but we as humans are in a word resilient. 2022 wasn't an easy year for any of us. I mean, we all came off the pandemic. We were glad to hang out with family and friends again. But for many of us, there was an underlying anxiety that we just couldn't quite put our finger on. A little buzz in the back of the brain that on bad days felt more like a time bomb just about to explode. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and identify that feeling as Trump-related PTSD or Trump derangement syndrome as I like to call it. It's not a magical term, it's not a medical term either yet, but just wait, it will be. Because too many of us have suffered from Trump-related PTSD for the medical profession not to declare it an actual disease. Trump-related PTSD is on the spectrum of mental illness, and if statistics are to be trusted, one in five Americans live with a mental health condition and one in 20 live with something serious like schizophrenia or bipolar depression that needs to be treated. Or, let's just say, life gets tough for them and for their loved ones. Our kids are facing mental health challenges never seen before in the United States. And it's weird that some states have more cases of mental illness than others. Like, for example, New Jersey. They have 
far way less mental illness than Utah. I mean, go figure that one, right? COVID-19 drove people nuts and contributed to substance abuse, which sadly is still on the rise. But I'm gonna wager that for some of us, Trump-related PTSD is what made our brains ache the worst. The not knowing what the fuck he was gonna do next. A new cycle that featured all Trump all the time. The hateful fucking MAGA rhetoric and the terrifying threat of authoritarianism. And then of course there's the fucking lies. So many lies that you just wouldn't fucking quit. And then suddenly, it all began to crumble. Now, I'm not saying that we're all going to bounce back immediately just because we weren't killed in the midterms, but I will say that we got through the worst of 2022, and we lived to tell the tale. We voted and we marched, we screamed bloody murder when the Supreme Court took our precious rights away. But we showed up, we didn't back down, and we definitely, definitely didn't give up. I'm proud of our mea culpa community for hanging in there with me and seeking the truth. And I'm grateful for all of your support. I can't make any promises about 2023, but it will be different. Because we have been heard, so keep the faith, my friends. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.